Africa rise and shine Africa zola Africa amka na unai Good morning and a very warm welcome to Africa Rise and Shine. This is Channel Africa from an African perspective and we're coming to you live in Johannesburg, South Africa. We are on the frequencies 7230 kHz on the 41 meter band to Southern Africa and on 11925 kHz on the 19 meter band to West Africa as well as DSTV's audio bouquet Channel 802. I'm Lulu Gabu, in studio with Anne Musa, Amanda Machaka and Figile Lingwati. In our top stories on Africa Rise and Shine at the Sawa, Nelson Mandela's centenary celebrations get underway across the world. Zimbabwe's opposition MDC raises concerns over voters' role manipulation. And, in sp- and Kenyan intellectual says without land there would be no peace in Africa. In economics news, IMF lifts sub-Saharan Africa growth outlook. And in sports news, sundowns drop to the bottom of Group C in the CAF Champions League. But first up, the news with Anne Musa. A very good morning to you. I'm Anne Moussa. Sudan says South Sudan's warring factions have agreed to sign a preliminary power-sharing deal this week, which should be followed by a final one late in the month. Sudan has been hosting a round of peace talks since last month between South Sudanese President Silva Kid and rebel leader Rik Machar. The two warring leaders have already agreed on a permanent ceasefire and withdrawing of their forces from urban areas of South Sudan. The world's young country formed in 2011 after it split from Sudan. Renowned African scholar Professor Patrick Lumumba has outlined the history of Africa's trials and tribulations while paying homage to former South African President Nelson Mandela. Madiba would have marked his 100th birthday. Lumumba was delivering the Nelson Mandela Memorial Lecture at the Walter Sisulu University in Mtata in South Africa's Eastern Cape Province. He's highlighted what African leaders should be mindful of. And I think that Madiba would have surveyed the continent of Africa seeking evidence whether the continent of Africa is truly, truly liberated, he would have started from Cape Town. He would have asked rhetorically, is there a possibility that there is economic appetite? Madiba would have cast his eye and would have posed the question, did we not fight and attain independence that we may not fight against each other? He would have asked, are we still fighting and killing each other? Meanwhile, former U.S. President Barack Obama has cautioned in his Nelson Mandela lecture at the Wondrous Stadium in Johannesburg that people should not lose hope and emulate Madiba by remaining dedicated to the fight for freedom. Obama says there are fears around the world that democracy is under attack. Love comes more naturally to the human heart. Let's remember that truth. Let's see it as our North Star. Let's be joyful in our struggle to make that truth manifest here on Earth so that a hundred years from now, future generations will look back and say they kept the march going. That's why we live under new banners of freedom. Thank you very much, South Africa. U.S. President Donald Trump says he accepts the country's intelligence agency's conclusion that Russia interfered in the 2016 U.S. presidential election. He says he had misspoken on Monday and had meant to say he saw no reason why it was not Russia that meddled. The original comments after he met Russian President Vladimir Putin draw a barrage of criticism. Russian military intelligence has been accused of carrying out large-scale cyber operations to steal Democratic Party documents and emails from Hillary Clinton's election campaign. The BBC's David Willis reports. 
President Trump was under intense pressure to account for remarks that stunned leaders around the world and incensed senior members of his own party. Standing next to Vladimir Putin on Monday, he failed to tackle the Russian leader on allegations of meddling in the 2016 election. Reading from notes, the president said simply that he had misspoken when he said he didn't see any reason why Russia was to blame for the meddling. The United Nations says Cameroonians fleeing an increasingly bloody separatist conflict have received little aid as humanitarian agencies struggle to access the area. More than 200,000 people have fled their homes in the volatile western region since late last year. In addition to at least 21,000 who have fled into Nigeria, the regions have been gripped by violence since protests by the mainly francophone country's anglophone minority in a secessionist movement last year. And that's the news. Headlines at 8.30 Central African Time. Africa, rise and shine. Africa, Zorza. Africa, Amuka na Unai. Let's go back in time to today in 1918. South African anti-apartheid leader and President Nelson Rolisasa Mandela was born in the village of Mvezo. That's today in history in 1918. When I went to school, the lady teacher, Miss Mdingane, asked, what is your name? I told him my African name, Khorislas. He says, no, I don't want that one. You must have a Christian name. So I say, no, I don't have one. She says, you are from today, you are going to be Nelson. Nelson Mandela, Madiba. We have made it very clear in our policy that uh, South Africa is a country, a country of many races. There is room for all the various races in this country. I have fought against white domination and I have fought against black domination. I have cherished the idea of a democratic and free society in which all persons live together in harmony and with equal opportunity. It is an idea which I hope to live for and to achieve but if need be it is an ideal for which i am prepared to die i stand here before you not as a prophet but as a humble servant of you the people a place the remaining years of my life in your hands never and never again shall it be that this beautiful land will again experience the oppression of one by another when i told one of my advisors a few months ago that i wanted to retire he growled at me, Coach, you are retired. <laughs> if that is really the case, then I should say I now announce that I'm retiring from retirement. <laughs> Nelson Mandela, Madiba, we salute you. Former U.S. President Barack Obama's address has received warm response from many South Africans as they filled up the Wanderer Stadium in Johannesburg yesterday. Obama addressed the nation and millions around the world as South Africa marks what would have been Nelson Mandela's 100th birthday. Mbali Tetani reports. It was a packed Wanderer Stadium with many from far and near who had set aside this day for a historical event. ANC stalwart Sidney Mafumadi, who attended this occasion in honor of former President Nelson Mandela, says South Africans should be proud to 
who have had leaders of Madiba's caliber. Well, you know, as uh, South Africans, we are blessed to have had a generation of leaders like Nelson Mandela, um, Albertina Sisulu. These are leaders who, uh, as uh, long ago as in 1955, envisioned uh, the current uh, South Africa that we live in. Uh, they left us with a challenge uh, to ensure that uh, future generations um, live the dream for which they were prepared uh, to lay down their lives. An emotional struggle stalwart and close friend to Dada Mandela, George Bezos, says Madiba should be remembered for his humanity as the nation celebrates Mandela's centenary. Well, you know, he was an example of being a human being. He didn't worry that I was white and he was black or that I did a case for whatever color person was. And uh, this was himself. He said, I want to be a human being. And South Africa belongs to all those who are living in it. There are people who say he didn't get it right. He got it very well for all of us. Nelson Mandela Foundation Director Tokyo Sihwale says the legacy that Madiba has left behind is immeasurable. He has left the legacy of struggle against what is wrong. Two, the legacy of standing up for what is good, the values of social justice, of human rights, of economic rights, the freedom, non-racialism, and of course uh, equality amongst all peoples. That's Nelson Mandela. As the former U.S. President Barack Obama wrapped up his speech on the podium, these young people told SABC News that it was a great experience to attend a lecture of this magnitude. Today it was actually quite liberating as a South African, as part of the youth. So, yeah, it was just cool. It was a cool experience, cool people, thought-provoking topics, really like food for thought. I thought it was really amazing because we got to see things from even Obama's perspective. So I thought it was a really good eye-opener for the youth. Some also in attendance say they appreciated how Obama tackled various issues which need to be addressed urgently, such as poverty, inequality and racial segregation. More than anything, it brings a lot of inspiration to people, especially the focus on the youth. I think there's a lot that's not going right with our youth today. And, and certainly for those that were fortunate to be here, I take it that they heeded the message and they can at least try and think differently. You know, a constant reminder of wanting to better oneself at least is something that I think the youth got today. I think for us older generation and elders and those that have actually um, did some wrongs throughout this democracy need to also introspect and look at where they've gone wrong and hopefully with the influence that they still have they can still also inspire change that is so necessary right now. So I'm absolutely happy I could make my way here. The talk, the speech was very inspirational. He spoke to all matters of domestic politics, global politics, and I was quite inspired by the fact that he diagnosed the current global situation and that we need to arrest the current tide where human rights are being eroded, where economic economies are on the decline, where growth and economic growth is not inclusive, and the fact that leaders at both grassroots and at the helm need to take action. Media mogul Carol Bauer was among those in attendance and says she liked that Obama's speech acknowledged and promoted internationalism. 
I, I really enjoyed President Obama. I loved the fact that through his speech, he also promoted internationalism. And I feel that that's important as our borders are you know, opening up more and more. And somehow as the borders open, somehow hearts seem to be hardening and closing up. So I felt it was important for us to be here and listen to a message that talks about opening up and really ensuring that South Africans realize Madiba was about being international, embracing everybody, and, and also remembering our history as South Africans, where it was other nations that really looked after us in preparation for the dawn of our democracy. And um, given our unfortunate history where we've had xenophobic attacks on our brothers and sisters from across our borders, I felt that it was a very, very important message for him to share. Executive Director for Harvard University's Africa office, Obanewa Mbonsa, also shared her sentiments on the former U.S. president's speech. You know, I thought it was a really interesting and engaging lecture, and as usual, Barack Obama brought interesting perspectives and angles to consider things from. I think it was quite right when he said that it's a bit shocking that in 2018 we have to affirm fundamental human values such as human rights, human dignity, and equality. I think, though, his uh, take on how we deal with people who specialize in quote-unquote um, alternative facts was also an important aspect to bring up and perhaps a little bit of the lecture that was underdeveloped. But I think his point towards the end about young people really needing to be at the vanguard and to take things forward, hopefully that's one of the questions that they will be answering in the years to come. As the nation celebrates Madiba's birthday on Wednesday, UCT Vice-Chancellor Mamukheti Pakeng says it's important for South Africans to remember Mandela for what he gave the nation. Let's always remember Madiba for what he gave us, not what he could have given us. Um, he's a human being. He couldn't have solved all our problems, but he solved a lot of them. We, we have the country that we have today because he led us in the way that he did at critical times. Um, and when things are good, we forget how bad things were. And Mandela took us out of the ruts and we are here now on a way up. More celebrations are expected to be held throughout the country and the world on Wednesday. Ambali Tetani in Johannesburg. The world remains beset by so much human suffering, poverty and deprivation. It is in your hands to make of our world a better one for all. From July 18, raise your hand and make a dedicated effort to keep helping others in any way you can. Make every day a Mandela Day. It is in your hands to make a difference. Kenyan legal expert Professor Patrick Lumumba says there would never be lasting peace in South Africa if the question of land is not tackled head-on. Lumumba delivered the Nelson Mandela Centenary Memorial Lecture at the Walter Sisulu University in South Africa's Eastern Cape Province. His speech focused on a wide range of issues such as African leadership, education and civil wars and extreme poverty in the continent, to mention but a few. Our reporter Ngulule Gunyembezi was there. The speech of Professor Patrick Lumumba was well received by academics politicians and students at Walter Sisulu University. Professor Lumumba says the issue of land, which is the hot potato in South Africa, should be fast-tracked. He says there will be never be peace in South Africa if the land question is not attended to. Madiba would have reminded them that the last colonial question is land, and that until the day that you tackle the question of land, you shall never know peace. You shall never know true peace, the peace that surpasses all understanding. And he would have told those who are listening to him that every situation demands a solution that is unique to its circumstances. You would have prevailed upon the South Africans that the solution lies within yourself. Renowned African scholar says Mandela would have been very critical of some African leaders who are reluctant to change. He would have told the leaders of South Sudan, change your ways. He would have told the leaders of Cameroon, change your ways. He would have told the leaders who refuse to leave office, change your ways. He would have told the leaders who don't want 
remember, you would have reminded the people that democracy is only protected by eternal vigilance of the people and that power tends to corrupt and that absolute power tends to corrupt absolutely. He says Mandela would have warned African leaders against the recolonization of some African countries. And he would have said, you Africa, remember that you are a continent that is not standing alone. You are part of the international community. I saw the Spaniards come. I saw the English come. I saw the Dutch, and after they were finished with us, we had lost our lunch. He would have told us, I now see the Chinese come. I see them coming. I'm not telling you not to trade with them. Trade with them, but be careful, because all of them always started with the trade and ended up conquering us. He says African leaders must provide an education system which produces positive learning outcomes for all children. The audience which packed the auditorium gave him a standing ovation after the lecture. A United Nations exhibition marking 100 years since the birth of Nelson Mandela was officially opened in New York last night that focused particularly on building on the legacy of South Africa's first black president. The photographic and text-based display delves into contributions of Madiba to the main areas of work that the global organization is focused on. Speakers at the official launch included senior government and UN officials, including former South African Deputy President Pumzilim Lambonuga, as Sherwin Barspeace reports. A showcase of Madiba's courage and compassion, his commitment to social justice and a culture of freedom that the UN hopes to spread around the globe. The Deputy Minister of Cooperative Governance and Traditional Affairs, Andres Nell, represented the government. Nelson Holishlashla Mandela passed away on the 5th of December 2013, but would have been encouraged by the adoption of the 2030 Agenda for Sustainable Development in 2015 where our leaders on behalf of the peoples they serve adopted a historic decision on a comprehensive, far-reaching and people-centered set of universal and transformative goals and targets. They committed to working tirelessly for the full implementation of this agenda by 2030. They recognized that eradicating poverty in all its forms and dimensions, including extreme poverty, is the greatest global challenge and an indispensable requirement for sustainable development. Nelson Mandela International Day, recognized as an occasion of service globally, was officially proclaimed in a resolution of the General Assembly in 2009, the first and only time an official UN Day has been named after an individual. The executive director of UN Women and a former member of his cabinet, Pumzilem Lambunguka, said there were enduring lessons from Madiba that could be applied to the challenges facing the world today. I had the fortune of working with Madiba. I was in his cabinet and every day when you watched him lead from the front, from the back, from the side, was a masterclass. A masterclass about humility and knowing that you don't always have to exercise power over people. It's always important also to exercise power with. The exhibit features quotes by Madiba focused on sustainable development, human rights, education and the fight against HIV and AIDS, among others, core issues that the UN continues to grapple with. Mlambunguka said Madiba recognized that often things were not black and white, but that many truths could be found in the shades of grey. As we move forward, as we celebrate this centenary for this whole year, and this must not be the last time we gather like this, let us please remember, we can win together. 
One doesn't have to lose for the other to win. We can win together. We must also remember, not everything is ideological. One has to be on one side and the other on the other side. There's a lot of valid truth in the shades of gray. We have to have the courage of our conviction to dig up the strength of what is in the shades of gray without losing our convictions, our integrity, and as our principle. The exhibition is stationed at the visitors' lobby of the United Nations headquarters and runs until September 2nd this year. I'm Sherman Bryce Pease in New York. Let us all unite and celebrate together. This is indeed a joyous night. We are delighted by the overwhelming support for the African National Congress. To the people of South Africa and the world, this is indeed a joyous night for the human spirit. You help and apartheid. This year, 2018, marks 100 years since the birth of South Africa's first democratically elected president, Nelson Kholihlahla Mandela. Join Channel Africa, South Africa's international public service radio station, as we celebrate a centenary of the life and times of Madiba. Nearly 600 African migrants in Algeria were abandoned in the desert with hardly any food or water before being rescued. This comes after the UN Migration Agency reported over the weekend that Algeria's government has resumed expelling migrants into the Sahara Desert. Last month, the Associated Press reported that Algeria has left more than 13,000 migrants in the desert of Niger and Mali since May 2017, forcing them to walk or die in the searing heat. This report seemingly prompted the Algerian government to suspend the migrant expulsion until recently. Now, to understand the situation better, we are now joined on the line by IOM's Luca Lamort. Luca, thank you so much for joining us on Africa Rise and Shine. Now, IOM has discovered that Algeria is again forcing migrants to the Sahara Desert, where they obviously find themselves stranded with no food or water. What exactly is the situation presently? Hi, thank you again for having me today. Um, After discussing with our mission in Niger, the latest latest report suggests that around 391 migrants were abandoned at the border and assisted by our staff at IAM Niger. They came from 16 different nationalities, majority 199 from Guinea-Conakry and others from countries such as Ivory Coast, Senegal, and Cameroon. And what happened is, according to the few stories that we are now gathering, is that these migrants were stopped while going to work in different locations in Algeria and then brought to a transit center called Taman Rasset by bus. And while their phones were confiscated and... uh, they didn't receive any water or food. They were then transported to another uh, location in Guetzam and then uh, obliged to work to work across the border. So what we know from, uh, from our mission is that three medical cases were escorted to the hospital. Uh, all of them, of course, received the treatment, and nine of them decided to go back to Algeria after receiving treatment. Now, Luca, just very quickly, in terms of the Algerian government, why are they treating migrants like this? And um, their response to your criticism as the IOM with regards to the way they're treating uh, migrants in the comments, um, saying that the agency is not helping the migrants in any way, and uh, they remain the burden of the Algerian government. What's your take on this? No, I mean, from, uh, from what our director general said, I mean, he expressed concern about uh, how the migrants are treated, but mostly about the way, um, the way migrants are left in, uh, in, across the border. Our main concern, as I said yesterday, remains their safety. And 
from what we know in our mission in uh, in Algeria and Niger, we are uh, we are helping uh, not only in terms of uh, basic uh, humanitarian assistance during after the operations of rescues and search that our teams carry around the area, but also in terms of liaising with the embassies and consulates to then prepare these migrants for their return and reintegration in their home country. So uh, we have, of course, greatly concerned about the safety of the migrants, but we, we are in the field both at Taman Raset and uh, uh, on the Nigerian side to assist the migrants with every single step from basic humanitarian needs and return and reintegration in their home country. Now, have you had any contact with Algerian officials to, get, to discuss this problem and a way forward um, with regards to the situation presently? I'm not aware of that. For that, uh, I'm sure our chief of missions in Niger and, and uh, Algeria will. I am not sure whether the, our director general will step in the conversation, but I'm sure at some point if the situation worsens, the relevant authorities within IOM uh, will uh, will certainly continue the conversation. And as I said before, the the main the main it's like for the Mediterranean. If uh, migrants are saved in the Mediterranean Sea, our main concern remains to take care of their basic needs. And then the uh, political discourse and the relationship with, with the relevant governments can. Uh, take place in a second uh, in a second moment uh, Luca unfortunately we have run out of time thank you so much for joining us on Africa Rise and Shine thank you very much that's Luca Lamotte of the United Nations International Organization for Migration joining us on the line our headlines up next with Anne Musa A very good morning to you. I'm Anne Musan. The headlines, the international community celebrates Nelson Mandela's centenary. It's a special day declared by the United Nations to celebrate Mandela's ideas and mission for a free society for all and fight against injustice. Renowned African scholar Professor Patrick Lumumba says Africa can move forward if the continent gets rid of what he calls dealers and elects leaders instead. And South Sudan's warring factions agree to sign a preliminary power-sharing deal this week, which would be followed by a final one later in the month. Those are the stories making headlines. Today, in 1963, the UN Special Committee on Apartheid releases its second interim report recommending an effective embargo on the supply of arms and ammunition and of petroleum. That's today in history in 1963. I, Nelson Holisa Mandela, do hereby serve to be faithful to the Republic of South Africa. He was not a ruler, like just telling people what to do. He didn't rule us, he led us. His role as president in the process of nation-building was exemplary and wonderful. You could disagree with him, he would disagree with you, you could even be quite testy with each other, and yet it wouldn't affect the overall relationship of your own cooperation or friendship. Nelson Mandela, a giant of two centuries. It's exactly two weeks before Zimbabweans elect their next leader on the 30th of July, but the fight over transparent election administration rages on. Leader of the MDCT, Nelson Chamisa, on Tuesday hinted Zimbabwe Electoral Commission is now compromised with various allegations of rigging. Meanwhile, the Catholic bishops have also raised concerns over allegations of increased intimidation and violence ahead of the polls. Channel Africa's Simon Muchem reports from Harare. As Zimbabweans put a final touches on the July 30th elections, allegations of vote rigging keep emerging. During his media address on Tuesday, leader and presidential candidate for the main opposition MDCT, Nelson Chamisa, vowed 
no elections will be held without electoral reforms. Chamisa Esofa held several protests in the Harare streets against Zek, demanding certain reforms ahead of polls, but nothing is yet to be implemented. While Chamisa is not clear of the arsenal his political party will be using, he threatened to make sure elections will not be held under the current environment. Chamisa explained reasons for his displeasure with the ruling ZANU-PF and electoral body ZEG. What is expected in terms of the law? In fact, she admitted that uh, there is evidence of electoral malpractice, especially if one has regard to the fact that our officers were asked to vote in the presence of their seniors. That vote was not secret. We have this information. Officers are phoning us. They are complaining. We have raised these issues. And this has continued. So we would want this ballot to be made invalid, nullified, so that it is done according to the law in full secrecy, respecting our police officers. And also not forcing police officers to be on a personal ballot when they have not applied for it. We know that they are doing it, and we want this to be sorted out. So it's clear that the postal ballot was not done according to the law, and is therefore compromised and has to be invalidated. Chamisa added the ballot paper was not printed transparently. It's very clear that the ballot printing was not done in accordance with the law. In terms of the law, the Electoral Act, Section 57, uh, it's very clear that it has to be done, uh, particularly the layout of uh, the ballot paper itself it has to be done according to the alphabetical order. And if you have regard to what is called the V10, it's clear that that was not followed. I don't know what uh, Commissioner Chikumba's defense is in a clear and vi- a flag- a flagrant violation of that uh, provision of law, where Mr. Mnangagwa is now finding himself being the first on the alphabet by virtue of what they are calling another caller, when in fact it's supposed to be uh, done in an alphabetical order, and Mr. Mnangagwa is supposed to be another number, which is not where he is right now. So, reading of the ballot is not just a political uh, problem, it's also a legal problem, which we obviously are also going to take up and complain about. While the electoral atmosphere looks calm, from a naked eyes view, Chamisa hinted widespread acts of intimidation and violence are being experienced countrywide. Also discovered that uh, there has been massive intimidation in the countryside, you know, especially in the context of uh, ZANU-PF panicking. It's clear that we have, uh, we have the majority of support in the rural areas. We have done a fantastic job in Matebeland, in Mashonaland, uh, in Masingo, in Manikaland. I can assure you that uh, the support we now have in those uh, areas is massive. This is why, a case in point, just last night, you know, people in Buhera uh, and um, ZANU-PF MP Chikomba, the people were being told that uh, if you vote for MDC, uh, you are going to see what happened in 2008. And we are getting these, uh, you know, manifest and ubiquitous, ever-present uh, circumstances of uh, intimidation across the whole country. And we are extremely worried. But- Meanwhile, Zimbabwe Catholic Bishops' Conference noted some peace in the country, unlike in the past, Secretary General Father Frederick Chiromba said. Well, with regard to the electoral environment, well, as you are aware, as church, we are the grassroots. We are everywhere uh, in all the provinces in the country. Uh, our teams have been out there, and you know, we also have parishes in every corner of the country. So far, one can only say, you know, the situation has been uh, very peaceful and uh, very, very different from previous elections where in the past people would be fearful. We have found people to be quite outspoken, you know, and at peace. However, Father Chiromba admitted spontaneous acts of violence could be taking place in some areas in the country due to resistance by certain politicians. Yes, well, um, given our history, you know, and the experience of the elections in the past, there may be some pockets of resistance, you know, people who are still 
working with the with the old dispensation whereby when they hear the word elections they kind of you know react in, in a in a violent way or or are not open to the, the differing opinions of, of of others so the way i take it is that you know with elections it is actually a, a process you know growing into democracy is a process the catholic bishops have called for a multi-party interface in the capital on Thursday this week, where all political candidates are expected to address on peace, Reverend Gadri Malusi said. The objective of the church, just like in facilitating this uh, initiative to promote peace and mutual respect, surely a democracy doesn't happen in a day. And we also, our message will continue to be the same to all the political parties, the incumbent and the opposition, to desist from uh, political violence. In Arare, Zimbabwe, this is Simon Muchemwa. Accessibility, especially in today's urban environments, involves a lot more than installing ramps in order to ensure that people with disabilities can enjoy the rights they are entitled to. As according to Maria Sistenas Reyes, the UN Special Envoy on Disability and Accessibility, despite recent advances towards inclusive societies, an enormous gap remains between commitments and the daily experiences of persons with disabilities requiring a concerted effort to ensure that they are not left behind, as outlined in the 2030 Development Agenda and Sustainable Development Goals. Sustenas Reyes says she has a clear vision for persons with disabilities. I am blind. I lost my vision during 10 or 15 years, a progressive disease in my retina. I think that New York and especially Manhattan has different challenges for the full accessibility. Accessibility is not only ramps, it's more than ramps. For example, traffic lights with uh, sounds, metro with audio announce the stations, bathroom with accessibility, uh, training of the employees in uh, public sector to attend the needs of persons with disabilities. And uh, in developed country, it is very important the accessibility in terms of technology for information and communication. TV channels and needs to put the information in accessible way for deaf persons. And there are other challenges in relation to other disabilities. Deaf blind persons to persons with intellectual disabilities, persons with psychosocial disabilities. All of us need different formats but accessible formats to read or to understand the information. Did you encounter any issues this morning, for example, coming to the United Nations? In general, in the session, I, I didn't have uh, obstacles because I heard with the headphones the information of the conference. But I know that for deaf persons, it's not easy if there is not sign language interpretation. I think that it is very important to create the inclusive culture in United Nations. But I am happy because the Secretary General undertake decisions about the mainstreaming of the rights of persons with disabilities and accessibilities. And one of them is to create guidelines for the accessibility in headquarters and other buildings of United Nations. When did the Secretary General appoint you? Last year, he appointed me as a special envoy. And for me, it was an impressive news because I am a blind person, a woman, and I live in the south of the world, Chile. And I think that the Secretary General has the confidence in the abilities and capacities to fight in, in connection with different topics of human rights and social development too.
Which sustainable development goal is most relevant in your work as a special envoy? My task is the promotion of human rights and accessibility. And accessibility has a particular profile. And for this reason, SDG number 11 is very strong in terms of the implementation, but consider the decisions of the states' parties, but the participative management of the topic and the contributions of the private sectors through the investment of companies. That's Maria Sistenas Reyes, the UN Special Envoy on Disability and Accessibility, speaking to you in radio's Liz Scafidi. Our economics update up next with Amanda Machaca. Thank you, Lulu. Good morning. Ethiopia and Eritrea are resuming scheduled flights between each other's capitals this morning. It comes a week after the two nations declared an end to a two-decade conflict. The rapprochement could help Ethiopia, a landlocked country of 100 million people with the largest economy in East Africa, by making access to Eritrea's ports possible. The BBC's David Bumford reports. The first Ethiopian Airlines passenger flight to Eritrea for more than 20 years was due to take off this morning. It's the latest in a series of steps aimed at normalizing relations just over a week after the former enemies signed a declaration ending two decades of hostility. Eritrea broke away from Ethiopia in 1993. Five years later, they began a border war in which about 80,000 people were killed. The International Monetary Fund says Sub-Saharan Africa has Nigeria to thank for better economic growth prospects next year. It says in its World Economic Outlook update released on Tuesday that the region's economy will expand by 3.8% in 2019. That compares with a 3.7% prediction in April. The upgraded focus reflects improved prospects for Nigeria's economy and an increase in commodity prices. Gross domestic product GDP in Africa's most populous nation will rise by 2.3%, lifting its estimate from 1.9% in April. Nigeria's economy is recovering from the worst contraction in 25 years in 2016, which was caused by lower oil prices and output as well as shortages of foreign exchange to import raw materials. South Africa's trade union NUM says it will take the latest offer from the country's power utility ESCOM back to its members to give a mandate as to whether they accept or reject it. ESCOM is proposing a three-year wage agreement. The wage negotiations will reconvene next week Friday. NUM's chief negotiator at ESCOM, Helen Diadile. We have agreed that it's important that we go back to members and tell them what we have, how far we have gone, and afterwards we will come and we're hoping that this may be the end of the road for the negotiations. BHP says it's on track to sell its American shell assets. This is the world's largest miner reported record levels of iron ore output and a 650 million US dollar hit from fa- the fatal Samarco Dam collapse in Brazil. The world's largest miner is seeking to exit the onshore US shell oil and gas business, which it bought in 2011 for $20 billion amid a price headwinds. BHP also boosted its iron ore production to record levels for the year to June 30, aided by improved productivity as a major consumer China lifts its demand for higher quality metals. Rival Rio Tinto, one of the world's big four iron ore exporters on Monday, reported a surge in its Australian iron ore production and shipments in the three months to June 30. 
Netflix incorporated her stunned Wall Street by attracting fewer subscribers than expected last quarter, renewing concerns that the video streaming service has become an investment bubble. The shares plunged as much as 15% after Netflix added 5.2 million users in the period, about a million fewer than it predicted. Its outlook for the current quarter also reflects a deceleration. The world's largest paid online TV network expects to add 5 million customers at a slower pace than a year earlier. Shareholders and analysts now have the job of weighing whether they slow down as a bleep or a longer-term problem. Netflix's stock had more than doubled this year, with investors betting that the company will add tens of millions of customers around the world for years to come. In our financial indicators, the U.S. dollar is trading at 10.05, Botswana Pula, 9.98, Zambian Kwacha. In BRICS currencies, the U.S. dollar is at 3.85, Brazilian Heyao, 62.44, Russian ruble, 68.21, Indian rupee, 6.70, Chinese yuan, and 13.23, South African rand. It's at 75 pence to the British pound and 85 cents to the euro. In commodities, gold is at $1,227 and platinum at $815 per ounce, while the price of plain crude oil is at $71.88 a barrel. That's all for now. Remains beset by so much human suffering, poverty, and deprivation. It is in your hands to make of our world a better one for all. From July 18, raise your hand and make a dedicated effort to keep helping others in any way you can. Make every day a Mandela Day. It is in your hands to make a difference. As both updates up next, let's figure In our sports update, we begin with football news. South African Premiership side Mamelodi Sundowns have dropped to the bottom of Group C in the CAF Champions League after losing 1-0 to AS Togo Port on Tuesday afternoon. Sundowns had some catching up to do after drawing their opening two encounters in Group C. It was a promising start for Pizzo Misimane's side with the first opportunity falling to Tapelo Morena, although Yakubu did well to trot the attacker. The Togolese side made Sundowns pay for their lack of efficiency as Humlede beat the offside trap to rifle past Onyango after 40 minutes for half-time lead. The third annual BRICS Games get underway at the Vets Rugby Stadium and Orlando Mutual Hall today in Johannesburg and they were officially opened by the South African Minister of Sport, Togosile Kasa, last night. With the BRICS Summit set to take place later this month here in Johannesburg, these games bring together the five countries, namely South Africa, Brazil, Russia, China and India. They will compete in under-17 women's football, men and women's volleyball. Kasa has more on the importance of these games. This is uh, very important for us. We are the hosts in the third round of the BRICS Games on the sidelines of the BRICS Summit. So we are very excited that Airsport also found a niche to make sure that we open opportunity for our young people and young athletes in sport together with our coaches uh, to to really find a platform uh, to interact, share best practices, but also uh, in future that it is going to open opportunity for our young people to be able to have practice grounds with their uh, other counterparts. The South African women's under-17 football team is using this competition to prepare for the FIFA under-17 women's World Cup set to take place in Uruguay in November. They have been drawn against another fellow BRICS country, Brazil, Mexico and Japan in Group B. Head coach Simpio Lugo's team started the tournament against India at 16.30 Central African time today and she's banking on this tourney to prepare them thoroughly for the World Cup. 
It will help us a great deal, you know, because um, these are teams that we've never played in the past and we know the magnitude, you know, of teams that are in a different level, obviously, in different parts of the world. The development structures are better, you know, the competition levels are better um, and it will be, it will give us an idea as to what we will face when we go to Uruguay, you know, so that's that's very important for us and again, uh, it's for exposure for the girls because we are just used to playing African teams now we get to find different opponents I mean, in different continents, if I may put it that way, you know. So um, it is good for us and it will put the, the girls under pressure a bit to say pre-tournament, you know, the big tournament in the World Cup, this is what more or less it looks like. In rugby news, three-time Super Rugby winning captain and former Springbok and Bulls lock, Victor Medfield believes that the Lions can win the competition. The Lions will play against the Jaguars in the quarterfinal clash on Saturday. At the same time, Medfield sees little chance of the Sharks winning the quarterfinal clash against the Crusaders in Christchurch. And finally, with cycling news, defending champion Chris Froome has welcomed his rival's lack of aggression as he stayed firmly on course for the record equaling fifth Tour de France title after the first mountain stage on Tuesday. The tenth stage followed Sunday's punishing cobbled ride to Robert and Monday's rest day, and with a long descent to the finish, none of the top guns were in the mood to risk a long-range attack. Belgian Greg van Avermaet retained the overall leader's yellow jersey after featuring in the day's breakaway, and he leads Brighton Geraint Thomas, Froome's lieutenant, at Team Sky. But by 2 minutes and 22 seconds. Spain's Alejandro Valverde is third of the pace, with Froome in sixth place behind Van Avermaet, who said he had zero chance of keeping the yellow jersey after Wednesday's brutal mountain stage to La Rosier. That's the Sport News this hour. Africa, rise and shine. Africa, Zorza. Africa, Amuka na Unai. Recapping our top stories in Africa, rise and shine at the Sawa Nelson Mandela centenary celebrations get underway across the world. Zimbabwe's opposition MDC raises concerns over voters' role manipulation. And Kenyan intellectual says without land, there would be no peace in Africa. That wraps up Africa Rise and Shine today. For myself, Lulu Gabu, producers Pumutura Magadza and Komutomo Pulane, technical producer Mario Edwards and the rest of the team, thank you for joining us. For comments about our show, send us an email at info at channelafrica.org, tweet us at Rise Shine Africa or WhatsApp on 277-6300-3327. Taking us to the top of the hour for the news on the frequency 7230 kHz on the 41-meter band to Southern Africa is Salif Keta with a song titled Mandel. <laughs>
Yes. 